Well, it is a joy to be with you. Many of you, I think, were with us the days of the conference, but it's great to be in a worship service on Sunday with God's people. And I'm honored that Brian and the elders and leaders here would give me the opportunity to preach in the worship service. The outline that is in your bulletin, I want to go ahead and tell you, it's not really correct. So we're still in the same ballpark, but it's worded more for a counseling workshop. So we just spent, you know, days constantly lecturing on how you could help somebody else with certain things. That's not what Sunday morning is all about. So my main points are going to sound a little differently than the way you see them written, but it's going to be the same topic. But I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to my own heart today about how do we do something that I think is one of the biggest struggles that we have. What I want to touch on today, I find... As I've been a sinner for 50 years now, I've been alive for 50 years now. So all 50 years I've been a sinner and bumping up against something. I've been a Christian since I was seven. And I run into this as a pastor and I run into it with my own heart and I run into it as I try to help people and counsel people, even people who claim to know Christ. And it's this. What do I do about this ongoing tension and this angst that I feel that I think I'm saved. I I think I'm a child of God. I think I'm born again. I think I do trust Christ and I put my trust in Christ by faith to be justified and made right with the God of the universe. My sin has been cleansed. His righteousness has been given to me. I think I'm on my way to heaven, but I still have this huge battle with the flesh. I still want things that I don't think I should be wanting anymore. And I want them a lot. And when I just renew my effort in my own strength and I turn over a new leaf or I hear a sermon that convicts me again about sin or or something comes up and I just think, I gotta do better. But each time I just simply renew my effort or add some accountability partners and have a few people I'm meeting with or calling me or whatever it might be, I still seem to struggle so much. To the point that I know of many believers who have, quote, thrown in the towel. Or you run into people. I do as a pastor because I try to share the gospel on planes and in the gym and in the neighborhood and where I am. And when I'm talking to people, I hear this quite a bit. Oh, I already tried Christianity. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And you might be sitting here in church and as a believer, and you might have been in the church for a while, And it's not something you would say out loud in small group or adult Bible fellowship or Sunday school or, but it nags you on a regular basis. Is there something wrong with me? Do I, am I missing something that other people have, other believers have? Is there something still yet that's supposed to happen in me? Because this seems really hard. And I, I teeter occasionally on the brink of just thinking, I don't think I can keep doing this till Jesus comes, unless that's tomorrow. I don't think I can keep doing it. It's such a fight. It's so exhausting. And sometimes it seems so futile. And that's why I think, I think that's what, this very thing that I'm touching on right here is I think what keeps the publishing industry, a lot of it, book publishing industry, just thriving. Because if you can get a book with the word keys or secrets or steps in it, six keys to the Christian life, I've had my Bible, but thank you very much. That's what I need, your six keys or secrets or steps. Because we want someone, there's this sense, this nagging sense, I think that every believer has to some degree or another, some worse than others, that am I missing something? Because this is really hard. 
I believe that many times the answer is yes. You are missing something. But I don't think it's those keys in that book or those secrets or those steps. I think it's something that we see in the pages of Scripture that is readily there, but we don't recognize it as we ought. We don't make much of it as we ought. We don't soak there as we ought to, and we don't keep coming back to it over and over again as we ought to. And I want to show you one of those places. Turn with me in your Bible to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. It's where we're going to center our thoughts. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. And I do hope you have a Bible with you. I want you to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, feel bad. <laughs> but bring one next week, even though I won't be here. That's what I say to our church all the time. Bring a Bible. And a real Bible, not some little electronic thing. That doesn't even count. For all, you know, for all I know, you're updating Facebook. Don't, don't act like you got your Bible on there. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm having to give in gradually. So I trust those of you, when I see the flickering light in your hand, that you're not just tweeting and checking Facebook and looking up good recipes for the, you know, that that's your Bible. All right, you got your Bible. And here's why I say this. My words are nothing. My words have no power. My words will not last forever. God gives all kinds of promises around his word that his word endures forever. His word, his word. He's magnified his word above his name. His word, his word, his word. So as I preach today, I want you to be absolutely clear what I'm saying, which I hope will be complimenting God's word, versus what does the Bible say? If you forget everything I've said, that God's word would be riveted branded on your soul. And here's the other advantage to having a Bible with you. You can go back to it. This Kentucky boy is going back home. I won't always be here. But if you learn your way around your Bible and you see stuff and say, oh, that is good, and you mark it or star it, you can go back. So Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. Now look at me a minute. That's so encouraging already because notice it, we're so often guilty of saying, oh, but it's so hard today. It's so bad today. Things are so difficult today. Things have just gotten so bad. News alert, God's word is timeless and he's about to give us some help on how to say no to sin and to live soberly, righteously, godly, not in some easier time, in some better point in history, when we were more agriculture, when, when boys and their dads lived together and worked on the farm, when blah, 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 all the times. We, it's so easy to point to some other point in history and say, that was better. No, in this present age, right now, Godly, righteously, in this present age, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Let's pray together. God, how we thank you for your word. It's been great to be here this morning already. It's great to sing truth corporately, to own it and to sing it and to hear our voices singing truth, whether we feel it or not. 
as we've begun to doubt, as we face trials and troubles and suffering, it is good to link arms and hearts and sing truth. It's good to be around brothers and sisters and the fellowship and the one anothering. But, oh God, now is the reason we've come. This moment is the peak of our worship time. This is what matters most, your word. Speak, O Lord. Give us ears to hear. Take out hard, stony hearts and give hearts of flesh. Where there's darkness, flood it with light. Where there's twisting, realign it and straighten it by your grace. Where there's despair and people are losing hope, give hope. Oh God, cause your word to run and be glorified. Exalt your son, Jesus Christ. Fix our eyes on him and change us. Change us by your grace and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. From this passage, I want to give you what I hope might be some help in our fight against sin. Now, hopefully you are fighting sin. If you're not, that's a whole different problem, and I'm not here to help you with that today. You need to be in a fight. When you see the scriptures, you'll see that Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, I fought the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. In his last letter, as an older man in 2 Timothy, he says, I fought the good fight of faith. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is now laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He talks about a fight. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, I run the race not randomly. I box not randomly. I buffet my body. When you go through the pages of Scripture, it's no surprise, it shouldn't surprise us today that, you know what? This feels hard. Living the Christian life is hard. There's some there's, it's a battle. There's a war going on. When you see the scriptures, you see him talk about fight, run, box, wrestle, buffet, farm, even the farming analogy. All these entail hard work. But, but, and it's a big but. Every time I say that, little kids at my church snicker and elbow each other. Because the worship leader always says to me the next week, oh, you got to stop saying that. My girls just go nuts. He said big but. He said big but in church because they're not allowed to say but at home. But this is a big but. It's not, it's not just fighting sin. It's not just wrestling. It's not just running. It's not just farming. If that's all you've got, then you're just a Nike Christian. Just put a big swoosh across your chest. Just do it. Just do it. Now, do we have to put forth effort in the Christian life? Is it going to include us being involved? See, see, there's another ditch to fall into. I'm going to try to balance this out here with one problem, but there is another ditch to swing into that I want you to land in, and that's just the whole let go and let God. Just let go and let God. I don't have to do anything. Hallelujah. Ha. It's all him. It's all grace. Woo! And your life will be one big fat mess. So if you have that sticker on your car, tear that off. Let go and let God. Why don't you let go of that sticker? Because <laughs> it's not biblical. And, and that's our problem. It is so easy to swing one way or the other. It's either Nike Christianity, just do it. Do it. Drop and give me 50. Suck it up and go. You know? And the reason I know this so well, I've lived it. I'm type A. 
I'm just, I, I've done this so, I did this so many years and it was just, oh, it was a breakthrough for me when I understood, oh my goodness, it's not just, well, but here's what else I found out. The reason it was kind of a, an awakening is I was only able to help so many people as a pastor, as a Christian, as a counselor, because the only kind of people that could relate to me were the other Nike kind of type A, disciplined, here we go, tell me what to do, suck it up and go, drop and give me 50. Now, a whole lot of people aren't wired that way. It's just like, drop yourself. I'm not dropping doing nothing, you know? I mean, why don't you just drop and shut up? Because that sounds like a bunch of hard work. And I continued to read my Bible, and I was like, hmm. And I would teeter on the verge of spiritual exhaustion and a sense of futility and a lack of joy that would drive me back again to say, am I doing this right Am I missing something? And sometimes even to think, I'm 28. I'm not sure I can do this till Jesus comes, if he delays his return. However it is that you're living the Christian life, it's gonna entail effort. But if you approach this the way God designed it to be approached, there should be a sense in which you can do it for the long haul. Hard? Oh, yeah. So, some, some super duper battles, oh yeah. Do we have a real enemy? Oh yeah. Do you have your own flesh? Oh yeah. But you can do it for the long haul. Christianity is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And I think what God is showing us right here among many other places, but I'm gonna focus us here today, is what so often is missing. This is the element that is not kept in focus, that is not made much of. So here's my first point I want to make. The focus of your fight, the focus of your fight against sin needs to have the person and work of Jesus Christ front and center, front and center, front and center. The person and work of Jesus Christ at the center of it and what he's doing and what he's done. Not too often we have a sense of Jesus Christ saved me. He began this whole thing. And, and if he's in the rear view mirror of your spiritual journey, he's just a speck back there as you're billowing dust behind your Christianity car as you move forward. And there's Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He got this whole thing started. But now it's me. It's just me. And, my, and, and the vehicle of my Christianity is just loaded up with additional books now, spiritual disciplines and, and secret this and key this. And, and I've got accountability partners all in the car with me reminding me, do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't be careful, be careful. It can't be that way. Today, right now today, regardless of how long you've walked with the Lord, how long you've known him, when it was you think God saved you, there needs to be a fresh, present awareness of Jesus at the center of your Christianity, that you have a relationship with Jesus, that you're in love with Jesus, that you've not yet gotten over who he is and what he's done for you and what he's doing for you and that he's your bridegroom, that you're in a relationship with him. Christianity is not just trading one set of things I'm doing or not doing for a new set of things I'm trying to do or not do. That's what the world thinks and that's why they're put off. Like, I, I don't need a new list. But there's so many Christians living just that way, looking pretty sad about it. And so the world looks at us and says, yeah, I don't need that. I got lists. I got stuff. Plus, I get to climb mountains on Sunday. You have to go to church. So you're going to church and just trying to do these new lists, but you don't seem like you have peace, joy, any, any power beyond your own ability. And this is what so often is missing. 
a fresh, present sense of a reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you're in love with Christ, that you're delighting in Christ, that you know Christ. So notice what this passage is doing in Titus chapter two again. Look at it. A command to say no to sin has Jesus Christ wrapped all around it and at the center of it. And Paul, as he was so fond of doing, is giving us a a really huge run-on sentence here. If you're an English teacher, you, you don't like Paul, but he writes really good stuff. And I'd like to believe that it's his enthusiasm that so often as Paul is explaining something to us, he just doesn't want to put a period because there's just a little more to that and a little more to that and a little more to that. Look what is happening here. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, no period, comma. What does that grace do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live righteously, soberly in this present age, no period. Not a new thought. And to live this way in this present age and as you fight this fight and seek to live this way, getting this grace, you're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of your great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. It's all interconnected. Who Jesus is, what he's done, and the fact that he's coming back. He's returning. He's my great hope. I think about this. See, too often I'm convinced it was the, you know, the slaves that so often wrote so many songs about heaven because life was so hard. If we're not careful, we do complain a lot. We have a complaining culture. But by and large, even with the economy, folks, even with the difficulties right now in our, in our nation, we have it easy. And if there was a problem, it's that We are so earthly-minded, we're no kingdom good. That that little phrase, you know, I don't want to be so heavenly-minded, I'm no earthly good. (laughs) Don't worry about that. I don't see that happening a lot. I see people building bigger and bigger homes and buying and acting like they're going to be here forever. I want to say to some of the people in my church, are you nuts? All this is going to stay. All this is going to be left behind. All this is going to be rusting and rotting and can be stolen and taken away from you. Why do you make so much of right here, right now, grabbing all the gusto you can with a Christian fish cap on at the same time? The only thing that distinguishes you is Christian apparel or a fish on the back of your car. But you live the same way. You seem to get your greatest joy at the same places. You're, you're butted up against the same trough with the rest of the world, slurping at the same places, plus Jesus. Something's not right. There needs to be a reality and a freshness and awareness of Jesus in my life right now, satisfying me in a relationship with him, knowing him, falling in love with him. Because if this book just simply becomes a list of rules or exhortations or commands to try to obey, that's not enough. Not enough. And if God thought it was, this could be a lot shorter. We just have several good lists. Does the Bible have lists? Oh, yeah. There's some places where you can go and just get a rundown on, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Yep. But it's not the only thing there. And there's a reason. He knew we needed more, more more. Ed Welch puts it this way. He says, when principles, you know, are just biblical principles lifted from the pages, when principles or steps wander from Christ himself, they become self-serving guidelines. They make our marriages, families, friendships, and work go better, but the goal is our own betterment more than the glory of God. Be good and do right. 
are fine messages, but when they stand alone, they have more in common with the Boy Scouts handbook than scripture. Remember that in the Bible, this is who God is and what he has done always precedes. This is what you must do. Action follows our knowledge of God and trust in him. It's as if God has said to us, now that you've seen who I am, you'll want to love me in return. Think about how the Bible's put together. For example, the letters to the church in particular that we're, we're prone to go to in the New Testament, you know, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. If you check it out, those letters before Paul, and he wrote most of them, before Paul ever gets down to the nitty gritty where the rubber meets the road and begins to say, you know what? Don't do this and don't do as much as this and do more of this and watch out about that. He always leads up first with several chapters of reiterating, summarizing, declaring in a marvelous way who God is and what he's done for you. Who God is and what he's done for you. And if we're not careful, we have a tendency, I I find this as I talk to people, to just skim those places. You just skim them like whatever. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Cut to the chase. Just bottom line it. Take Ephesians, for instance. Turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24. This is a place you might be familiar with if you grew up in church at all. And this is a get down to it. Do this. Don't do that. Here's what your job is and what you need to focus on. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. So there, there you go. Do this. Put off certain behavior. Put on some other behavior and be renewing your mind. But that renewing of your mind, listen to me, is not just make sure you learn all the lists that are in the Bible. Renew your mind with all the lists. No, I believe it's much more than that. Renew your mind and soak continually and never get over who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. Who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. That's why this book, before he ever got to chapter four, which begins with a therefore, which means now I'm gonna tell you some stuff in light of everything I've been saying. He took three chapters to extol what God has done for us in Christ. And it wasn't just a warm up or a waste of time. He's not just clear. Don't treat those chapters like clearing his throat. He's just clearing his throat to get to what he's really, oh no. You think about chapter one of Ephesians. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He just goes on and says, you've been adopted. You've been redeemed. You've been ransomed. You've been rescued. You've been forgiven. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit. And get this, I love the word in the Greek. It's a pledge. The Holy Spirit that you have now as a believer is a pledge. In in other words, it's an engagement ring. You are engaged to a bridegroom. You have a lover. You've made a commitment and you just have a down payment of a little bit of what is yet to come. He reminds them. He gets to chapter two and he says, but you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the course 
of this world, of the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Two of my favorite words that I see in the Bible. I've got them circled all the way through my Bible. But God. Say that with me. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved and has raised us up together with him and seated us together with him in the heavenly places in Christ in order that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us. And he doesn't say, this is gonna happen one day in the sweet by and by. He's saying, that's you now. You've been made alive. You've been ransomed. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been adopted. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have a pledge You're in a new sphere of living. You once were a slave to Satan. Now you are a slave to righteousness. You once were bound in darkness. Now you are in light. You once had King Satan. Now you've got King Jesus. He says, you need to remember all this freshly and have an awareness of it, an appreciation for it, a delight in it before you ever turn and aim your guns to try to fight sin because he did not design it for you to do this in your own strength. You can't. You can't. But we keep trying to. You can't. You better have Christ front and center in your fight against sin and a fresh delight and awareness of who he is and what he's doing in your life. Number two, to do that, you got to be tasting and seeing that he's good. That he's good. So in this fight against sin, it might seem odd, but I think Psalm 34, 8 is a great fighting sin verse. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. See, here's what the battle is really, where it really wages. Long before you jump in bed with someone other than your wife, long before you sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, long before you turn to that illicit street drug or pharmaceutical prescription to abuse it, to get in the happy zone, to forget about your problems, you already lost a battle that started right here of not truly still believing and trusting what God gives me and offers me and is available to me and what I have in Christ and who he could be for me and he's the lover of my soul and he'll never leave me or forsake me and there's a depth of knowledge and intimacy I could have with him with no regrets the next morning, with no aftertaste, with no toxicity. is so much better. You've already lost that battle long before you cross the line into any outward sin. That's why I love John Piper's definition of sin when he says sin is what you do when you're not, anybody know? Satisfied in God. There's two things we know about someone as soon as they cross that line, including myself. It's not just, oh, you really wanted that really badly, didn't you? I also know I have really, really, really gotten thin and weak on how satisfied I am in what I have with God. So this fight against sin, get this, 
This fight against sin is not simply a campaign to say no. It doesn't work. I appreciate Nancy Reagan, you know, Ronald Reagan's wife had that whole just say no to drugs. And I appreciate the world when they try to do something good. Does just say no work? Thank you. No. It really doesn't. Because get this, until you have a greater burning yes, and until you've tasted and have the reality of something so much better, you will find it almost impossible to say no to this because this is all you know. This is as good as it gets. So if you want to finish well, and I do, so I'm 50, I'm not ancient, but I'm not a pup. It's funny how you start seeing things that, just this morning as I was getting ready, I was like, oh man, my dad's eye, eye, eyelids, they puff over and fall over his eyes. And so did his mother. She actually had, just had surgery so she could keep seeing. I'm thinking, my eyelids are puffing and falling over. I'm starting to look. Ju- there was a picture the other day. I took a picture of myself in the, in the iFrame store. I was getting new glasses and Vicky wasn't there. And so I just I said, hey, take a picture of me in these three different glasses so I could show them to Vicky. I got home and I was showing her and we were all like, even I was startled. We all went, oh, looks just like Papa, my dad. He's not an ugly man, but that's not how I thought I looked. <laughs> I really thought it was better than that. <laughs> and it was like, oh, has it come to that? Yes, it has. And at 50, I'm thinking more about finishing well. Think about our culture. All kinds of things get started. All kinds of people head in great directions for a while. Not many people finish well, including pastors. They go down in flames. They do something stupid at some point. I want to finish well. If you want to finish well, and I hope you do, I do. If you want to finish well, you better understand this fight that we have in this world with our flesh and our enemy Satan and the siren call of all the world offers is a two-pronged fight. Yes, I want to say no to sin. Yes, I want to put some guards in my life. Yes, it's good to have a, a, a filter on my computer. Make it hard to look at porn. It's good to do a number of things to help you say no. But if that's all you're doing, you will run through hurdles. You will knock down fences. You will lie to accountability partners. Lie to their face. Because you want what you want so badly. And you haven't tasted and seen of anything else that's better I want, so listen, it's not legalism that drives me to read my Bible every day. It's not legalism that drives me to carve out time to pray. And I don't mean just pray through lists of the missionaries. I do that. But pray for me, for my soul, for my sexual purity, for my kids, for my heart, for my joy, for all that I'm supposed to be in Christ. It, that's why I memorize scripture and I meditate on it. Not legalistically, like read his Bible, prayed. Oh boy, memorize scripture. Now God will really bless him. I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it for this reason. As I read God's word, this is how I taste and see that he's good. Oh, it's great to look at your mountains, and I'm hoping to do that for the next four days. But mountains alone are not enough. They leave me breathless and a sense of there's a God. But I still wouldn't know what he's like. Here's where I find out what he's like. Here's where I engage and enter into a relationship with his son. It's not mystical. He is real. He lives in me. But if I want to know him, I've got to read this. If I want to taste and see and delight in the goodness of God for me in Christ, I've got to come here. I come here to taste, to eat, so that I will be so satisfied with something better 
it will make it easier for Brad Bigney to say no. The flesh will still whine. It'll still, it's not dead. I'm not dead. I wish I was. The flesh is not dead. But oh, listen to me. It, it, put, let me put it to you this way. Probably in your town, I don't know what they are because I haven't been here long enough. There's great restaurants. And there's just okay food. You'll hear people talking, and they might talk about a restaurant that you think, whatever. You know, Golden Corral. Sorry if you run one, but, you know, Golden Corral. Steak night at Golden Corral. All you can eat. Yeah. You might think that's great because you've never had a real piece of meat. You know? I mean, what they can serve up to everybody, all you can eat, no way that's going to be as good. Maybe out here it's really good. I don't know. In Kentucky, it's not. We don't do Golden Corral. When I want a good steak, I go to Finky and Sons, this little market near my house. He's been there 35 years. It is the best meat. And then my wife marinates it in a plastic bag with all these special secret, yes, secret ingredients. And then I throw those babies on the grill to die for. Melt in your mouth. But I digress. So when you're, when you're satisfied and you're tasting of something better, it puts things in perspective. The fight against sin is no different. If I'm spending time with Christ, tasting and seeing how good he is, he satisfies my soul with no aftertaste, no toxicity, no regrets, and I'm enjoying him and delighting him and I have a sense of being accepted by him and the freedom in him, I can look sin in the face much more readily and say no. And things begin to look as they really are. What the world cries out to you and offers and what the flesh longs for. See, our flesh continues to be like little kids. Little kids don't make good choices. They reject prime rib, mashed potatoes, and asparagus lightly grilled with sea salt and some lemon juice. Oh. And they want Twinkies and cotton candy, and, but they don't know any better. Spiritually, you could live your life on Twinkies, cotton candy, or stir fry. Sorry. When I eat star, stir fry, I'm hungry again an hour later. I could just rip somebody's head off. Just I need something. That doesn't get it. Lightly stirred vegetables. <laughs> Garlic mashed potatoes, prime rib, gravy, something. You better be finding a way spiritually to on a regular basis be scooting yourself. So here's the picture I want you to have in your mind. Not, ah, oh, that guy said read your Bible. I bet Brian, your pastor, and your elders are constantly encouraging you. You've got to read God's Word. You've got to read the Bible. You need to be praying. Perhaps even meditate on Scripture. Memorize some Scripture. You know why they're saying that? Not because of legalism. Picture this. Every time you open God's word and you carve out the time to get up early or stay up late, whatever your choice is, picture scooting your chair up to the banquet table. And as I pray, I scoot my chair up. And when I decide to memorize some scripture and meditate on it, for me, meditation and scripture memory is when it slows me down and I can really chew it and taste my food and it trickles down and I get all the good I can. You can wolf your food down. And very often, since we're in a hurry, I got to get the job. I got to drop my daughter off at middle school and after work, I got to take them to soccer and I come home and I answer. We're wolfing our food down, even if we're reading it. When you memorize, you slow down. And you taste it because you got to go phrase by phrase. And then you can call it up again and chew on it and delight it. I do those things because I want to scoot my chair up to the banquet table and taste and see that he's good. Because I'm going back out into a world where I'm getting emails unsolicited that say, hot Russian women now. Well, if I'm not tasting something better, the flesh is going to say, well, check that out. 
And as a pastor, you should know what's going on. So just on behalf of other people, so they'll understand what the struggle's like, check it out. How am I going to refute those kind of lies if I'm not so satisfied in something better? If you want to win this battle, you want to see greater victory, don't just wage a campaign to say no. Don't just recruit additional accountability partners who you'll lie to. Get more satisfied in who God is for you in Christ. Taste and see that he is good. That's what's so often missing. Sam Storm says, it's a dreary holiness indeed that is merely resisting sin. See what he's saying? If your Christianity just consists of resisting sin, that is very weary. You'll just get exhausted after a while. The joy of holiness is found in having heard a sweeter song. This is the true meaning of grace. Grace does not demonize our desires, nor destroy them, nor lead us to deny them. Grace is the work of the Holy Spirit in transforming our desires so that knowing Jesus becomes sweeter than illicit sex, sweeter than money and what it can buy, sweeter than every fruitless joy. Grace is God satisfying our souls with his son so that we're ruined for anything else. You know why we put so much, many demands and so much pressure on the people around us? Because we're so dissatisfied, we're trying to get all our satisfaction here. So we put huge expectations on our wife. We expect sex to be off the charts every time. God didn't design physical intimacy in the marriage to be off the charts every time. It's supposed to be just a foretaste of something better, oneness with Christ, union with Christ. But in an earthly way, he's given us a physical reminder of what it's like to be one with someone, to know someone, to trust someone. But it's not supposed to meet all your needs. And that best friend that you had, he gave us friendship. And there's delight in relationship. And God is a relational being. He delights in himself as the Trinity. And we're created in his image. So there's some goodness there. There's a reason that that resonates with you. Relationships and closeness and friends. There's a reason that creation itself stirs us and we're, we're left in awe and we delight. But all of this, all of this was never meant to fully satisfy you. You are not home yet. But you could start now getting to know the one that you will spend eternity delighting in and drinking in more, and knowing more, and seeing more dimensions and aspects of, if you're going to win this battle, you got to have a greater burning yes, and be satisfied. I'd encourage you to pray a scary prayer. I believe in praying occasionally scary prayers that can, that can be a little frightening to pray, but it's worth it. If you're here, and you'd already say, Brad, that's me. I, on a regular basis, start to think, I just can't do this anymore. This doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work. I feel so exhausted and joyless. It just feels like, you know. Let me, let me challenge you. Get alone. Take some time today before you rush off to do whatever else you're going to do and pray this prayer. God, ruin me for anything else. Ruin me. Give me, give me a sense of Christ and a relationship with him and a love for him and a reality of it and the sweetness of it and communion with him that I'll be so, so satisfied that I am ruined 
for anything. Now, don't hear me saying then you, you leave your marriage, you leave your kids, you know. No, no, no. You stay in the same marriage and you don't need as much from them because your little love cup isn't out like this all the time with your feelings hurt, needing more from them. You don't need as much because you're getting so much from Christ. You don't need so much from your kids now and you're able to just serve them and love them and care for them. You don't need so much from that best friend. So much of our need-driven expectations are what wreck relationships because we're not satisfied in someone better. We're not tasting enough someone better. Last point I want to make. Get this. Here's the deal. If you don't go down the path that I'm exhorting you to take that we see from Titus 2 and many other places of making Christ at the center of your fight against sin, here's what will happen. Sin in your life will just lay low and morph in another area, show up in another area. Here's what I mean. If you just rally the forces and, and campaign against a particular sin, because you know it's wrong, you know it's time to stop sleeping with your girlfriend, this is not right, you rally all the forces, or whether it's marijuana or alcohol or whatever, and that's all you do, effort to say no to that, and you might win that battle. You just might. Your heart hasn't changed. You're no more satisfied in Christ than you were before. You haven't tasted and seen that there's anything better it won't be long because your flesh will still be on the prowl and still hungry like stir fry. You haven't really been satisfied yet. And in a matter of time, it'll just morph. I see it all the time as I'm counseling. You know, someone's smoking marijuana, I'm trying to help them to stop it. And I don't care if it's legal in certain states. Like, I'm so sick of hearing that. It's still stupid. Would you like to be stupid? Smoke it, all right? You'll be stupid. I'm trying to help them. And in our state, it is illegal. So I'm trying to help them stop this. And they do. But they still have no heart for Christ, no humility, no being satisfied in him. And what do we find out? In a matter of two weeks, he's across the river in southern Indiana. That's just 45 minutes. Spending all the paycheck at the casinos. And we go over there, and I didn't know this until I dealt with this situation. You You can have them sign a piece of paper that now the casinos won't allow them in. And he can't get in the casinos. And two or three weeks later, major problem because he's forcing his wife to have sex, not every day, multiple times a day. What's going on there, folks? There's a heart that is not satisfied. And there's a heart that says, I got to grab all the gusto here now. And you can shut down one avenue and it's just going to try to express itself somewhere else. And you can shut it down and it'll just go somewhere else. And you shut it down and you can do that ad nauseum. And see very little victory until you scoot yourself up to the banquet table of Christ and taste and see that he's good. I do believe what is so often missing is we're not in love with Jesus Christ. Too many Christians are dating Jesus. Know what I mean? And I'm talking about the dating you did because you just didn't want to be alone. I don't want to go to the ball game alone, so I'll have a girlfriend. And I can show up with her. I can go to events with her. But you didn't, you didn't lose sleep over her. You didn't skip meals. You were just love sick. There was no longing, yearning, love. It was just, all right, we've got too many Christians just like that with Jesus. When there's a longing and a yearning and a delighting in and a sense of, for those of you that are, I met a couple of those engaged, getting married in a couple of weeks. When you're engaged, 
That's, I hope you're, there's a longing. There's a yearning. I remember that. It's like, oh, man, I want us to be together. I want to be married. She was in Georgia. I was in South Carolina. It was like, oh, get that picture in your mind. That's what it's supposed to be like right now. You are engaged to Jesus Christ. You've got the, the wedding. You've got the band. You've got the engagement ring, the Holy Spirit. And that's why this passage says, the grace teaches us to t- say no to ungodliness and to live righteously, soberly, Godly in this present age, no period, comma, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You say no because you got something better coming. You love him. You know him. You're meeting with him now, but you know there's going to be more of him. I'm going to see more of him. We're going to be together. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God. Too many Christians are looking for satisfaction right here, right now, out of all this. And they keep making mistake after mistake, tragedy after tragedy, calamity after calamity, shattered relation after shattered relationship. And the problem and what's missing is this. There's no passion for Jesus Christ. There's not a real love for Jesus Christ. You have not tasted and seen how good he is. Let's pray together. And I want you to take a minute to just think before you rush out of here and and push these thoughts aside. There's different people sitting here today. Some of you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ. And so there's no hope for you. You're just gonna keep falling into one pit after another pit after another pit. Or you may say, hey, I'm doing fine, sweaty man. I'm not in a pit. Life's good. Well, it won't stay good. You may be young enough that you still think, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get it. I'm going to have it. This seems like an affluent area, plus beautiful. What's not to like? And you've got enough going on right now. You're fine. Listen to me. Just like Solomon found out in Ecclesiastes, it won't stay enough. There will be a weariness that will set in, and you'll start to realize, what, what, what? The things of this world are not enough. I'll tell you what. It's Jesus Jesus, you need Christ. Christ. So I exhort you today, if you don't know Christ, yet you're in church, you're religious. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never put your trust in Christ to come into your life, save you, justify you, cleanse you, fill you, do it today. Put your trust in Christ. Say, have, have mercy on me, O oh God, a sinner. Save me. But many of you are probably Christians, and some of you, maybe you'd say, you were talking to me. I am so weary. I am so exhausted. I feel like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Oh, listen to me. Scoot yourself up to the banquet table and say, God, ruin me for anything else. I want to taste and see that you are good. So that I'll have a greater burning yes and an ability to say no to some of all this that keeps tripping me up. Some of you'd say, I, I just keep going back to the same sins and I, it's like I have this low grade sin that is just always right below the surface and it tangles me up. It may not be that you need a greater effort to say no. It may need, be that you need a greater burning yes along with that no. Cry out to him. We pray so many prayers that I don't think God hears. Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. The king's kids go first class. I need this kind of car. But I tell you, there's some prayers that he's all over. 
you pray God ruin me for anything else? I think he'll answer that. For your good and his glory. God, I want the sweetness of knowing Jesus Christ. I want to fall in love with Jesus Christ. I don't want to just date Christ. I want to long for Christ. God, work in our hearts. Set some people free. Ignite a flame in the hearts of some people. Scoot us all up to the banquet table of Christ and help us to finish well. And to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.